How's the weather there in Arlington? Uh, really kind of uh, a little a little better than the last couple of weeks. It was 102 today, and normally it's 105, 106, 107, you know. Yeah, so when we say it's 102, we're happy. That's right, we're happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's that's the coolness. It's really been uh, brutal all over the uh, the country. It has. Well, but we're at a good time of the year. The NFL season is upcoming, and everything that I see says that Buffalo is the favorite to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> so I've got a question for you. Does Josh Allen need to be paid more money? And is Patrick Mahomes now overpaid? Well, now, Scott, now, I'll tell you, I don't know if that's a trick question, because if you ask a former player about money, <laughs> he's always going to promote any money that you can make, you should get. Right. But the, the guys that you just named, those are so, those are quarterbacks, and they've been influential quarterbacks in the league. And I think that that not only are they getting more money, the owners are getting more money, uh, people are getting more satisfaction. So everything is growing. I just think that so, there's there's there are stars now. Those names that you just mentioned. So the fans are paying more money. Well, uh, yeah, I would I would think so. I, I hadn't been to any you know um, games or any practices or anything yet, but um, I don't think that the fans are going to have to pay more money. But I do believe that the concessions might be a little higher. You know, right, or the right. drinks might be a little higher. Well, but I think you know, we're going to try to welcome as many people back as we can. Yeah, well, you know, it's always going to be a little bit more, and it's not going to be that noticeable. It's already pretty high to go see a, a football game. Um, anyway, but the reason I say that is that you're always talking about the quarterbacks. They're the best player on the team. They're the leader in the uh, clubhouse. They make the most money. Patrick uh, Mahomes got the biggest contract at the time after he won the Super Bowl. They haven't won one since, since he got up that big contract. Now, Josh Allen isn't making Patrick Mahomes money, and he's uh, perceived as a favorite. So that's why I always like to wonder how you're going to be juggling all the this money around. And, of course, if the players could get it, grab it. Right. You know, I, you don't know how opportunity is going to knock, and you don't know if your knee is going to be knocked out in the next play. Yeah, that's so, true. You know, you got, you, got to, you got to take that money. But is Mahomes now overpaid since they haven't won? Well, no, again, you know, uh, <laughs> that's not going to ever be the case that I say anyone is overpaid because they're being paid by someone that's being paid as well, right? No, no. Okay, uh, I want to ask you, though, in your day, you guys didn't have as much bargaining power to get extra money, did you? Um, That's a great question, Scott, in terms of bargaining power. I, well, I bargaining think, to get more money for themselves. Well, well, bargaining power also means that the the era, the electronic era that we're in now, you know, visibility online, uh, all those things, I think, has contributed to the money side of things for both the owners and the players. We didn't have that in, in those days. You, If you didn't look at football on Sunday or Monday night, that was it. Right. So I think that there's a there's more of an option for people to to see the performance of players now. And I think that has a contribution to the increased payments and the increased, amount, uh, increased amounts of money. Now that Seattle has let Russell Wilson go, mm -hmm. that tells you you're, they're in a rebuild mode. You know, 
how do you replace Russell Wilson? I mean, you know, are they are they hoping this is going to be a short process, or are they going to be rebuilding the whole team? What what do teams do when you when you uh, li- let your star quarterback go somewhere else? What happens? Well, that's a great question, Scott. Because you know the the NFL quarterbacks now. I, I looked at Drew Locke and Geno Smith and and Jacob Eason. You know, those are all guys that could possibly replace Russell Wilson. All of them are 6'4", 6'3", 6'4", 6'5". I see us, and, and Russell Wilson is not that tall of a quarterback, an effective quarterback now, don't get me wrong. But I think it's according to, I think quarterbacks like Russell Wilson in these days and times go to teams that have offensive strategies that can support their style of play. Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson are movers. You know, they, 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 they're not just going to stay in the pocket. But now you're getting 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", guys that are movers as well, and they can see better. Because now defensive linemen are averaging 6'6", 6'7", 6'8". Get your hands up with all those pads. It's hard to see you. You know, so it, it, it's more of a challenge, and it creates a different offense when you have players like Russell Wilson. And I think that he's effective in what he does. But I do no, believe no. that the league is leaning toward you know, taller, bigger, more mobile quarterbacks. Well, I, I don't want to leave this topic, but I, I got to ask you a question that's from what you said, that's going to veer us off a little bit because otherwise I'll forget to ask you later. <laughs> right. So when you talk about these guys um, uh, that are six, seven, is that changing the kicking game for extra points and field goals? Because all of a sudden the guys, trying to block, they're just sticking in the real tall guys to stick their hands up. So is that changing anything? Scott, that's a great, great question, uh, especially for a holder, because the angle that the ball leaves the kicker's foot also has an, uh, well, the holder has an effect on it because of the angle of the ball. But I didn't, you know, I never thought about that. You're right. It's so many taller guys now, you know, and, and they usually put them in the middle. And if they're very active, you know, they'll put them in the middle and have them run up and jump on the back of somebody else to jump high, right. <laughs> you know. But, yeah, but let me ask you now, when you talk about the angle of the football to get it over them, so your distance is going to be shorter. They're not going to kick the ball as far. Well, no, no, they're going to still kick the ball as far. The actual distance of extra points and field goals are a little further back now than they used to be. Right, right. Yeah. See, but so. But, see, but, but if you're kicking the ball, to make it go higher uh-huh. sooner, I don't see how you're going to kick it as far as you would if you're still being able to kick that line drive. I can tell you. See, the line drive doesn't get you the height that you need to clear the, the goal first. Right. And and because of the height of, just like you brought up, and I didn't think about this, but there's actually a T. You can use a square, a black square T that actually gives you height off the ground. And a lot of times holders will use that in rainy games. You know, if the if the game is mushy or rainy, you know, unlike in the old days, see, we have to play on grass, but now everybody's playing on AstroTurf. So right. it doesn't matter. But in those days, we could use a tee, put it down, and elevate the ball some. The key was that the kicker had to make sure you hit the ball in the right place. Right. Well, of course, that's always part of it. All right. Yeah. Well, let me go. Let me let me go back here uh, to quarterback. Great question, though. You know, you talk about the quarterbacks and the importance, obviously, of them, and the team progresses based on your quarterback. 
Yet I'm reading about the Chicago Bears. They're saying it's going to be a terrible time for Justin Fields because the Bears have basically, if not the worst, one of the worst teams in the NFL. <laughs> so I thought the, having a good quarterback helps elevate a team. You know, take over and explain that one to me. Well, actually, I should take over the questions to you about the Bears. <laughs> but you know what I found out? I did not realize this. Um, I didn't realize that Justin Fields actually had epilepsy in high school. Did you know that? No, I did not. I guess if you had it in high school, you have it your whole life. Yeah, I would think it would still have an effect on your body. But as a freshman in high school, he had epilepsy. But at the same time, he had a 29 on the ACT, and he had a 3.9 grade point average. So yeah. <laughs> he's still yeah. a, a real smart guy. And uh, I think, you know, the way that the Bear, you know, the way the Bears got Justin Fields is that the Giants actually was, was, uh, was drafting him, and they traded that draft number to get Justin Fields. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's shown, obviously he's shown, you know, uh, that – Whatever's happened in the past is in the past, and that he has he's he has the opportunity of having a great future. Yeah, but well, but with the Bears not having a very good team around him, how long is that going to pull him down for? Or is he going to be able to elevate these guys? See, you know, w where I am now is that I, it's hard to predict if the Bears have a bad team or not because. You got a lot of young players that's come out. We don't even know some of the names of the top quarterbacks anymore. Right. So it's so many guys coming out of college that wants to get in the NFL that that might come in for one position but have the skill set for another position. I don't see how we can predict the next NFL season. Right, right, right. You know, uh, the the older guys that we know, the you know the 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 Brady's, you know, the old quarterbacks and all of, those guys are are, are not you know, the guys that's making the difference as much as they made the difference in the past. And 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 I think the issue is when we look at this season, I think we're gonna see a lot of names that are new names to us and new names to a lot of a lot of fans. Yeah, yeah. All right, Larry, you're finally gonna get some recognition you deserve. And I'm not even making a joke now. <laughs> um you you held for the uh, extra points and the field goals. Uh and the NFL Players Association and the Alumni Association is finally going to recognize you as the first African-American holder in the NFL. Talk to me about that. Well, uh, you know, uh, it, it was an honor to do that. First, I, I came out of the World Football League, you know, with Zonka, Kick, and Warfield. And, and I had the opportunity with my head coach, John McBay, to hold field goals and extra points then. It started off... Uh, with the Ricky Townsend, the barefoot kicker from Tennessee, if you remember him. Sure. Um, but for me, Scott, um, I was never the fastest. I was never the biggest. But uh, for, for me to maintain uh, myself in the NFL, I had to do as many things as I could possibly do, from special teams to, you know, regular backup backups to all positions, not just defensive backs. Um, and so – Coming into the NFL, I knew that uh, as as many many ways that I could contribute to the team would be the best, and 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 more than anything, the relationship that you have with a a, a quick snapper and a 
on a kicker is probably up at the top of relationships that's effective in the NFL. And I had a very good relationship with Joe Donello. Uh, we had good streaks going on. He, he had confidence in me. We had a, a left-hand center, and the left-hand center would spin the ball to a point where the, the, the uh, strings would end up in my left hand and not my right. So we constantly had to make a move to keep the strings in the front, you know, to keep them keeping the kicker from having to kick them. So all in all, it was a great experience for me, but it really did help me survive in the NFL for the years. Right. right. So you're recognized as the first African-American holder. And you guys, you and Joe had some records for consecutive kicks, I believe, that you you told me you got to research <laughs> to find <laughs> out what they were. So I want you to get get back on that uh, and let me know. And we also want to get Joe on the show one day. I will. We're we're, we're seeking to do that now. Yeah, I want want to hear what he has to say about you as a holder. (laughs) You know, but, um, um, you know, and and if we have talked about off camera and you know my feelings, you know, I think it's a great honor for you. But, you know, I hate the fact that we have to refer to you as the first African-American holder because that causes that separation. And I just can't stand that. But it's still an honor, and I want you uh, uh, to enjoy it because you do deserve it. Now, did Joe come with you from the Memphis Grizzlies too? Uh, no. No, uh, okay, was, okay. Yeah, he was there with the Giants, yeah. Okay, so he was already with the Giants. Uh-huh. You know, okay, okay. Now, <clears throat> I have somebody else that, that, that you know, I'm gonna, it's Chicago-related, so you know I'm going to talk about it. Ernie okay. Banks, my boyhood hero. Um and uh, uh, one of our two producers today, Scott, also from Chicago, doesn't remember Ernie Banks because he wasn't born. You, <laughs> right. know, you know, so when I talk about Ernie Banks, he doesn't know who I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, Ernie, May 8th, 1973. It's going to be the 50th year anniversary next May. <clears throat> but the Cubs were in San Diego. Only 4,500 people were in, in, uh, in attendance mm-hmm. for this ball game. And Ernie was a coach on the Cubs at that time, already retired. He was one of the coaches. Whitey Lockman, the manager, was tossed from the game in the 11th inning and handed the lineup to Ernie, thus making Ernie the first African-American manager in the major leagues. In the 12th inning, Ernie stuck up a pinch hitter, Joe Pepitone, who's a lefty. The pitcher was left-handed. Joe got a hit, knocked in the lead run from second base. The bottom of the 12th, Ernie put in a starter, Bill Bonham, to get the save. After after the game, they never mentioned the fact that Ernie managed that team. I guess the Cubs just thought it was a natural thing for Ernie to do. There was yeah. never any recognition of it. They asked Ernie, though, about why were you putting in a starting pitcher for a save? Why were you putting in a lefty to face sure. a lefty? And he said, those two guys have the mental toughness in a tough situation, and it worked out fine. So Ernie is one and always a manager, never been recognized for it. He talked about it. He wasn't, you know, glad that he was never recognized. He's gone now, of course. Yeah. It'll be the 50-year anniversary next May. Frank Robinson, of course, was the uh, recognized as the first African-American manager in 1975 when he managed for Cleveland. In 1962, another side note, the Cubs hired Buck O'Neill as a coach, and he was the first African-American coach in Major League Baseball. So shout out to my Cubbies. All right, let's switch gears. 
Live okay. Golf. What are your thoughts on Live Golf? Taking these players away, giving them tons of money to join, a lot of political, you know, fighting over Saudi Arabia doing this. What are, what are you thinking about Live Golf? Now, now they're stealing the announcers. David Faraday is leaving. And they're talking to Charles Barkley. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, uh, my first question, my first interest was, wonder why they named it Live Golf, right? Then I, I, when I researched it, I found out that they named it Live Golf because it's the Roman numeral 54. And there's that 54 means that you've birded every hole, right? And that, and there's uh, the last 54 holes in most events is what makes you the winner. So that was good. What I didn't realize, though, was that Live Golf is funded by a, a public investment group. Now, they say it's public, but a, they say it's a public investment fund from Saudi Arabia that actually owns Live Golf. Everybody's moving toward there. I can understand why, because they're paying players. Uh, Dustin Johnson, they're paying all of the great players to move toward that. I believe that there's an opportunity for Live Golf and the PGA to have a conversation. And that's what Rory McIlroy actually is promoting. He's one of the leading guys on the tour that's trying to get Live and PGA to sit down and talk and, you know, talk about what's next. You know, you know, I think it's only because there's so much money involved. Yeah. You know, and right now Live Golf is taking some of the better players that are past their prime a little bit. Um, certainly Phil Mickelson at 52 or three is past his prime. Um, Dustin Johnson, ever since he won the masters has not been playing like he used to, but you know, you get to a point where you don't practice as often. You're a little bit older. Um, and I'm not knocking these guys. I mean, they're paid a fortune just to go on the tour. That's right. You know, from the reports that we heard, Dustin Johnson, 125 million just to play in those tournaments. Right. But then there's the 9-11 um, people, the survivors of 9-11 have written letters complaining that, you know, they don't want Saudi Arabia to be running a golf tournament, you know, in the United States when they feel the involvement of 9-11 from that country. Right. And so it's a very difficult thing. And I think most people would side with that in this country yeah. that we don't need the Saudi Arabian golf event, <clears throat> but the money that's offered, it's hard for the players to say no. And it's hard for you to blame them because as you're always preaching to me, we live in a capitalistic society and it's about money. Yeah. So this is a really a tough, difficult situation, you know, um, uh, I guess they're coming up another tournament. It's going to be on one of Trump's courses up in yeah. New Jersey. And they've written letters to Trump to tell him to please cancel this tournament. I mean, there's a lot of strong emotions against against this uh, golf tournament, uh, golf it tour. It, yeah, it is. And and the tour itself has noticed, you know, on the PGA, it, you don't have shotgun starts. So what Liv has done is come in and tried to make it easier for the professional players, right? So in, in every Liv tournament, LIV tournament, they have a shotgun start. That means somebody is starting on every hole, right? And they have um, 
shorter rounds because when you you know if you start in a shotgun situation that's better than everybody starting on number one you know and having to work all day and then on on so they're they're not only playing to the crowd they're playing to the players well they also only had 48 players in their tournaments yeah, instead of true. you know i think the pga starts with about 150 before cut that's right that's and right. uh and they're only playing three rounds that's right you, you know which um i don't know how good for the game that is uh since that really um changes things because that fourth round is usually uh you know that that's that that's that's the uh the good round that's the uh the money round for everybody yeah, yeah. well it's going to be interesting to see i mean rory McElroy, i feel has become the face of the pga tour right now at age 33. you know he's he's the old guy of of the group of tremendous players there are that's and right. we are seeing the changing of the guard again in golf you know the this new crop of players, 22, 23, the Scotty Schefflers, the Zelatoros. I mean, these guys are good they right are. from the get-go. And they're, yeah. you know, they're babies. They're, they're good. They're athletic. And they have the best equipment. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? That combination is taking the driving range, you know, the driving averages from in the high 200s to the mid 300s. Larry, you're you're very impressed by good equipment, and I'm going to tell you why that is. <laughs> I've seen your New York Giant football helmet from the 70s. <laughs> I swear that's what I bought at Sears when I was eight years old. <laughs> I hear you. That same helmet. Yeah. But they were to bring that onto the show. I want you to show everybody the, the three little pieces of padding. Now, there's another thing about that helmet that I find very interesting. We've talked about this in a previous show several years ago. They don't allow the wedge anymore. And the young people, uh, Zeke and uh, uh, Scott, you know, our producers today, they have no idea what I'm talking about. The wedge right. was on the kickoff when, when uh, they would line up and form a wedge in front of the runners. And you played on special teams. And one of your jobs was to break that wedge. Wedge buster. You know, and you used to tell me that your job was to fly down there and just to take off and leap into the middle of those guys and see how many you could knock out. And when I look at the helmet you had, that was a scary thing. <laughs> that's funny. In fact, you know, that's probably why that's probably why I missed some of the questions you asked me. <laughs> oh, uh, all right, let's talk about the pandemic for a minute. You know, the pandemic is still going on. You and I are, you know, when we go to lunch, we go in our masks, everybody looks at us like we're crazy. And then we sit in the middle of nowhere at this one restaurant we go to. <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, I'm afraid if there's a little comeback in the fall, is that going to affect the NFL? I mean, I, you know, more so with the fans in the stands, are they going to try to do anything? Or do you think that we're just behind this and saying we're going forward? What do you think is going to be? Scott, I would hope that uh, from the NFL standpoint, first, I would hope that they're taking all the precautions that's necessary uh, for a pandemic that's lasted now well over two years. Um, it, it's obviously very a very serious situation. For me, it's been a challenge because I've seen both the international approach to the pandemic and the U.S. national approach to the pandemic. Right. And and. The U.S. national approach to the pandemic has shown me how important freedoms are here in this country. Right. Um, because 
if you were in you were in some countries, if you did not have your mask on, uh, you would you would be put in jail, basically put in a, a prison where everyone else didn't want to have, wear a mask as well, and not too many people are there. So you know, I would hope I would hope that especially with the resurgence, not only with just the resurgence of the pandemic, but also the resurgence of the pandemic with the monkey monkeypox virus. Right. See, so it, it's we're in a state where I believe that freedom is very important, but we need to at this point hunker down, do the right things, continue to wear a mask. Um, well, I was looking around because I have masks in my car. Everywhere, I, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but those are the things that pre pre prevent death. Those are the right. things that prevent sickness and illness and. I, I, the only thing that I can see that affects someone not wanting to do that would just be the freedom, the freedom of being here in America. Right, right, right. Well, I just hope it doesn't affect the football season at all. And if they ask the fans just to wear a mask for their own safety, I hope they'll just wear the mask so they could go and enjoy the game. You know, right. I think uh, I think that would be a, a big help. And also, uh, I would add, I would hope that that there was uh, some degree of, of vaccination interest. You yeah. know, we have their vaccination cards that you get when you get your shots. Right. You know, why not show them if you go in a public place? Why not be asked to show them? You know. Right. Yeah, be a little bit more okay with everything. You know. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're just trying to keep everybody healthy. I mean, look at we all got our vaccinations as a kid. Some of them that you know the kids nowadays have to be vaccinated for measles, mumps, rubella. You know, before they go to school, I believe. You, you know. Uh, I know you and I, when we were kids, we got our polio vaccine and our parents yeah. didn't question anything. You know, they wanted that vaccine in us immediately. And we had the, remember the little smallpox vaccines where it had the mark on your arm? You, you, you hitting the nail on the head. That's why I can't yeah. understand why they would be, especially amongst the older parents, us. Right. Because we all had to get vaccinated just to go to school. Right, right, right. And, <laughs> and our kids, you know, all had yeah. to get vaccinated to go to school. So yeah, you know, we, we, we fight over the wrong things, I think, a lot of yeah. times. All right, we're going to end it on this World Series predictions. I got the Yankees. Well, I got the Yankees and the Dodgers. You got the Yankees and the Dodgers. Well, yeah. you know, that leaves Houston out of it, which uh, a lot of people would balk on. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a Yankee fan this year because I'm a Cubs fan, and the Yankees have my first baseman. Oh, I hear you. And, well, and the thing that uh, I like is Anthony, if the Yankees win, Anthony will get a ring with the Cubs and with and the amazing. Yankees. That's amazing. two great storied uh, uh, franchises to have been a part of, to have won a World Series. You know, I'm glad you asked that because I've always, I've, I don't think I've been any other fan but a Yankees fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've always been a Cub fan, but I've always been a Yankee fan too. You know, when I was yeah. a kid, growing up, Mickey Mantle, and he, you know, even though Ernie Banks was the man, yeah, Mickey Mantle was a close second. You know, there was uh -huh. just something about his charisma and what he did on the baseball field that got all of us kids. You know, you know, uh, I guess it was that year Mantle and Maris were both chasing sixty. That's right. That's where we all really, uh, really got involved. All right, it's time for us to get out of here, Larry, but I do want to let people at home know they're not going to probably see this. Um, I froze up. Uh, I had pop-ups come on, on my screen. 
we had Zeke, uh, our producer director, come on to talk to us. And then we couldn't hear him, which made us really panic if we couldn't hear Zeke. Scott was busy telling us, uh, uh, giving us some stats and everything. And I'm anxious to talk to him as soon as we get off to find out if he actually knows who Ernie Banks is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friend, we will see you next time. All right, brother. Good forward to seeing you.